You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hopefully you have already registered, but don't miss out. November 8th, get out there and vote. DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace. Squarespace! And Linode. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show, all about games. In their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles... And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who's deciding which reality to live in, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hey, I launched uh, a serious Patreon. Uh, I saw that, and I, uh, I'm i wishing you all the best of luck with it. It looks awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's kind of in stealth, a thing I put together. I wanted a place. It's mostly a solo podcast, and then if there's demand and or money for me to do other things, there's other stuff. I will add other content, but I just wanted a place where I sit down and talk about things in a little deeper detail than sometimes we have time for. I feel like this show is supposed to be 90 minutes and most week it goes two hours. And then I feel like there's still more I want to say. <laughs> at least 20 more minutes more, right? At, at least 20 more minutes more. Yeah. So you, if you're listening to this, and you want to check it out. It's at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. Awesome. I hope people do check that out. Uh, we have a big week this week on DLC, though. There are big games releasing. This is the fall. This is our big you push toward, uh, you know, the biggest releases of the year. We got more of those to discuss. We got some fun rumors and news stories. But I think the most, the thing I'm most excited about is our VR talk section this week is going to be all about PSVR. Uh, you and I both have it. We've both been playing tons of it. And we have an awesome guest who's been playing it even longer than we have, to be honest, because he got early, early version. Um, you know the DLC is always our downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian, but this week, I'm excited because, once again, DLC stands for a dependable longtime contributor, our go-to guy, one of my favorite guests on the show. Ben Silverman is back with us. Hey, Ben. Hey, Jeff. Now, I don't have any sort of uh, Patreon. You can't actually give me money for anything other than just giving me money. So if you'd like to do that, I'll send you my routing information so you can just fund my family and I. Uh, that would be awesome. I yeah. love the idea that you would just give your, like, your bank routing number i'm sure it's i mean it's already out there on the internet you could probably find it but if you want it let me know send me money who doesn't want money 
Send me money, hey! Send me money. Uh, I love it. Um, you are still working on, at Yahoo on uh, on esports coverage and stuff, but you got a lot of games coverage also over there at Yahoo, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, my goal is to be the last man standing at Yahoo. Apparently, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I am still there. I've I've uh, survived uh, Yahoo Games, uh, Yahoo Tech, and I still actually contribute to Yahoo Tech, which is now part of Yahoo Finance. Uh, but mostly, I am uh, editing the uh, Yahoo esports vertical, which is uh, obviously esports is uh, huge these days. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of League of Legends uh, World Championship. I think they uh, are moving to New York for the semifinals. We just finished the quarterfinals in Chicago. So I'm following that whole racket. I'm following Overwatch. I'm following CSGO and Street Fighter and Hearthstone and all of our uh, esports that we love. Heroes of the Storm as well, Jeff. There, Believe it or not, there is still esports with Heroes of the Storm. I know. Oh, I believe it. I watch it. I know. I'm in. <laughs> You're the guy. You're the, the last <laughs> guy who's going to do that. Um, I'm that guy. So, uh, but yeah, but I'm also uh, reviewing games and, and obviously this time of year, uh, that's taking up an enormous amount of my time. So uh, I have been playing the things and I have, in fact, been PSVRing for quite some time uh yeah. my eyes are screwy uh but they're they are more screwy. coming back yeah more screwy they're they're finally coming back into focus a little bit uh but uh yeah been playing it well not to jump ahead because we have a, a whole section for vr but just i'm just curious as uh esports coverer mm-hmm. uh are do you think there's going to be a virtual reality esport that emerges relatively soon you know I've seen a lot of technology that's been trying to sort of marry the two. You know, there have been some demos of being inside of an esport in a VR setting. So you could, for instance, be, you know, in the middle of the Rift or you could be on the Nexus looking around and watching plays in VR, like from kind of, you know, ground level. And it yeah, all seems... the seemed... Dota 2 VR implementation is absolutely stunning. I, I think it's incredible. It's really cool. Um, and I think from a spectator point of view, it can be really effective, especially if they if they don't necessarily just keep trying to drop you in the action, but let you do a little bit of that God mode, kind of like zoom around and look at the, the battle in different ways. I think it can be really beneficial in that sense. I think as far as VR in esports, I mean, VR is so niche right now. And we'll talk about that later about how even with PSVR, it's still a pretty limited audience. So it's going to take a while before we see enough penetration where we, we start to see games really take off. And for games to really succeed as an esport, they do need that critical mass of people. Um, there is one game for PSVR rigs, which I think is the closest yeah. that we get to what could be an esport. Um, mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how rigs develops as a multiplayer game. But um, yeah, I think I think we're a ways out from VR and esports, which are two of the biggest buzzwords in the industry, before they're really married in, in a way that makes sense. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm I do, however, you know, watching esports and as exciting as those matches are, and I, I really do like esports, but oftentimes they'll cut to you know they have the like the picture in picture insert of the players, and it's just dudes staring at a screen, and I can't help but think that when we get full physical interaction with games. It will just make for a much more dynamic viewing experience because then you'll be able to see what's happening in the in the game world and also see people turning and pointing and shooting and, you know, using their entire bodies. I, I can't help but think that would be a more interesting thing to see and, and would help kind of propel the, the sport forward. Well, I already enjoy watching other people you know, play VR games because they just look so ridiculous. I mean, that's already its own spectator sport. Just stick your PSVR on someone's head who's never played anything and just watch them for five minutes kind of fumbling around. That's fun enough. So yeah, yeah, maybe when we get to the point where we have VR that's, um, you know, 
less clunky and isn't cabled up and people actually right. want to play a game like for an extended period of time. Um, yeah, that would be cool. But I, yeah, I do think it's, it's, it's pretty far in the future. All right. Well, uh, we'll have plenty of VR talk coming up, but let's start the show with the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter. That's DLC SOTW or by visiting our subreddit which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Um, I think it's actually a lot of rumors this week. We're dipping into the rumor mill for most of the stories that are, that are happening right now. But, uh, Ben, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Which would you consider to be your story of the week? What do you think? I mean, what do you think? This is uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm stealing the best one right off the bat, but how are we not going to talk about what is going on with Red Dead Redemption and Rockstar right now? I mean, this yeah. has been the story all weekend. Started off with this tweet. Out of the blue, Rockstar just posted this, like, red logo, um, and everyone started freaking out. I mean, I think there were... 120,000 likes in a couple hours. There were, you know, 80, 90,000 retweets for a red Rockstar logo, but everyone's and, like... And their stock price went up with yeah. a red Rockstar logo on a Twitter feed. Their stock price <laughs> went up. That's Unbelievable. Crazy. Unbelievable. And, you know, uh, Christian actually uh, and I had a very brief discussion about whether or not that was going to mean a remaster or a sequel. I voted sequel, and I think I'm going to win because this morning we got another tweet with seven cowboyish figures on a horizon... Obviously, it's Red Dead, and uh, as far as I can tell, this is going to be a new game. I don't recall sort of the Magnificent Seven being a part of the original Red Dead Redemption. It's been some time since I played it, but it looks pretty clearly like we are going to be getting an announcement very, very soon about a sequel, and uh, I am over the moon and excited, just as everybody else is, but I want to know about you guys. Are you excited? Do you think this is really going to be the sequel, and uh, what do you think is going to be in it? Well, this is certainly a developing story. I'm sure by the time some people listen to this episode, they will know more than we do right now because as you said, like literally this morning we're getting more. So they're they're teasing this out over the over the Rockstar Twitter feed. Uh Christian, are you still thinking that it's only going to be a uh a remaster? I I think I think there's a good chance to let a remaster comes before the sequel comes out. The things that make me think that won't be the case is, yeah, like when ben, like Ben said, we were talking yesterday when it was just the logo. Uh, now that they have the image of the of the seven cow folk hanging out on the horizon, I think that does lean more towards sequel. And they also did recently add Red Dead to backwards compatibility on Xbox One. Um, but I could still see, I still think there's an over 50% chance that a remaster comes out first and the sequel drops um, holiday 2017 or something like that. I, I, I think that if they tease it like this, though, and then it's just like... <laughs> and they come out with just like a remaster version of the Halloween content from Red Dead. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's Rockstar trolling. I, the, my favorite tweet that I saw about this, when it was just the logo and we didn't see any Western imagery at all, is the red with the Rockstar. And then somebody like showed an image where it pulled back and it was red on a table tennis paddle. <laughs> and it was like a sequel to Rockstar Table Tennis coming soon. Because um, they did do a table tennis game, guys. Yes, they did. And a good oh, one. A launch game, wasn't it, for the 360 or something? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I obviously 
Red Dead Redemption is, I think, one of the the greatest games. Still, still ranks for me as one of the best endings of a video game ever. Um, maybe a little overlong uh, the campaign for that game. Maybe it stayed, outstayed its welcome a, a little bit long, but overall, you know, really one of the greatest games ever. And to think that they're um, making a sequel, a full-on sequel, is certainly I'm as as wrapped up in the in the excitement as anybody else would be. Uh, I don't think that it's the kind of thing where it's like, we're going to drop it soon. I think it's the announcement that and it's kind of an odd time of year to announce something when everybody's talking about all these games that are coming out now. But uh, yeah, I do think it's a 2017 release at the earliest. That company doesn't care what anybody else is doing, though. I mean, like they, they never they don't go to E3. You know, everyone goes to E3. They never go. And everyone's like, oh, they're going to be there. And it's like they don't need to do that. They don't they do what they want. They have, you know, Grand Theft Auto. I think I think the last time I saw sold. How many was it? Sixty-five million yeah. units. Yeah. I mean, that's absurd. Insane. That is absurd, and yeah. nobody does that anymore. I mean, we have such a, you know, uh, a, a, a wide variety of platforms and games coming out everywhere that for someone to sell, for a game to sell that many copies, and for a franchise to do as well as that franchise is doing, I mean, it it, it is one of a kind. And uh, I guess it's maybe it's not one of a kind because maybe it'll be two of a kind. Maybe Red Dead will become that popular. I was a little surprised by seeing the stock price go up because Red Dead is not Grand Theft Auto. And it yeah. seems like Red Dead, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people played or remembered Red Dead Revolver. I did. I had to review Red Dead Revolver. Well, that wasn't a rock star joint, right? That was right. Uh, that was the game that they then... It was like Capcom, based. I think, right? Was it? I don't remember. I don't know. That's I don't think it was not good. No, it wasn't good, but it was part of the series in a way, right? And yeah. And... Uh, you would never have guessed that it would turn into this for this to be this big of a deal after really just one, you know, significant release is, is surprising to me. But, uh, you know, I think you're right. I agree with, with Jeff on the assessment of the game. The, the last game was spectacular and people have been wanting a great cowboy game and a, and a great Western game for so long. People have been clamoring it for forever. It was one of those Holy grails for such a long time. Cause yeah. no one could, could make one. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see what they're going to do do with it because i i don't i mean posses maybe like i'm trying to think of what things i could be like excited about that they're going to show off in terms of features or like a trailer we're going to dig into little bits and pieces like i haven't thought about i haven't thought about it in so long that uh i'm not sure i mean what what would you guys want to see in the game what would what would get you going well i certainly uh, i'd seen a bunch of people speculate uh you know over the years that the the red dead sequel would be from the perspective of a native american and I thought that, you know, that feels very rock starry to like kind of throw things, turn things on their head a little bit. And um, I was kind of hoping for that. I thought that would that would have something interesting to say and it would it would, you know, make the experience feel unique and interesting. Uh, certainly the imagery that they've released so far doesn't point to that at all. So who knows? But, you know, like you said, with with. Magnificent Seven remake sort of being number one at the box office recently. Westworld being like the most talked about TV show right now. Certainly seems like Western stuff is really back in in the culture. And I don't think it's talking outside of school anymore to say that about five years ago now, I was at an event and bumped into someone that told me they were working on the Red Dead Redemption sequel. So five years ago, that is, that this mm-hmm. game was supposedly being worked on. So... I, I don't doubt that this is happening. Uh, Christian, what would you want to see in the game? Uh, 
the world more realized. I think um, Red Dead 1 or Red Dead Redemption is such an amazing game because the way it captured the West and the side missions felt like they fit within that world. Whereas in Grand Theft Auto, I talk about how it feels a little weird to be, you know, you're in the middle of this super important takeover the city heist or whatever it is. But then you're like, and for a little bit, let me drive this ambulance. Um, like in Red Dead, that world made a little more sense to me. It's side stories, but I want to still see a denser world i don't know what time period they're going to hit but i like the idea of you know let's go see new york in this time like cowboys in the west existed while there were still trains and other cities and explosions of population for that time and i think having something that combines those two um totally different locations could be incredible where you're out in the west but you know maybe you start in the city and then you're you decide to go west because of whatever but i want to see something that really captures all of what was happening in america assuming it's in america uh during that time period i think that could be really cool i don't think that will happen but i think that'd be really neat to see the juxtaposition of the two um cultures having i don't know if either of you guys are watching westworld but watching that show i can't help but think about playing red dead redemption and it, you know, because that 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 whole universe in that TV show is built like a video game. I mean, it basically is a, a video game, a live action video game. And I I hope that this game is more along the lines of what they're showing in Westworld, where if you're talking about density of world, I, I want I want it to strip away the things about open world games that feel tedious. The like. 27 different fetch quest things the 20 you know the the like oh you can level up your this by doing 800 different you know taxi cab quests or whatever they are you know having the emergent world that i think red dead redemption really started which was like you just kind of riding your horse and then some you see something happening and you can jump in and do it i would love that to be fleshed out and really doubled down on i think that would be a really cool part of that game yeah. And, and, you know, just speaking about the kind of resurgence of Westerns, um, I mean, one of the things that I've been doing recently is rereading The Dark Tower, mm. um, you know, prepping for the movie. And yeah. one of the things that I love so much about that series is the forward momentum where, you know, they, they start in one place and they're just kind of like walking across this desert and then walking across this beach and then walking through the mountains. It's like, it's this kind of, you're, you're just, you're moving forward through this world. And what I'm hoping for, as much as I love the sort of town play that you get in Western games, I really love survival, survivalism, and the and what you're saying about the concept of emergent play. And I know it can be a little tedious, and I don't want to have to like be searching for food all game, but I do like that concept, especially when I think of the Old West, I think about it as being unflinching and difficult. Like I couldn't survive as a cowboy. No way. I would right. be, I would totally be that journalist from Unforgiven who was just like, <laughs> you know, like running around scared half the time and just writing, writing notes down and like trying not to get killed. Yeah. Like I would not be some awesome gunslinger. <laughs> so if I'm going to play a video game, I want to be one of those like tough guys who can survive this you know, grueling world. Um, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping they find a way to make survival part of the gameplay and a fun part of the gameplay where you feel good by, by overcoming difficult obstacles, not just yet, yeah, you know, looking at icons on a map and ticking them off. Yeah. Well, I'm sure by the end of this next week, we'll probably know more as they seem to be releasing something new every day. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Big, big deal. Big franchise. Everybody's been waiting for. I mean, I think I predicted a red dead, new Red Dead game like every year 
that we've been doing the show and it hasn't happened yet. So maybe this is the year. Uh, Christian, what do you, what do you got for a story of the week? I want to talk about the SAG um, Screen Actors Guild is threatening or planning for a strike. We talked about this a long time ago with like kind of the voice acting conditions and the SAG union kind of came in and, you know, really started having talks with video game publishers and and companies and trying to figure out a way that maybe makes this work for both sides. And now it looks like they haven't reached any type of resolution. As of when we're recording this, the strike is planned for Friday, October 21st, if an agreement cannot be reached. And while they have meetings planned, uh, SAG has said (laughs) they're not confident management is willing to make the changes necessary to bring this contract up to the standards of our other agreements, which basically means uh, we're probably going to strike. They anticipate striking. They could just be you know, bluffing to try to put extra pressure. Um, but it's all services would be withheld then. It'd be so it'd be include voice acting, motion and performance work, background work, principal on camera work, which could be stunts or um, cutscene type stuff. Um, and, and it co- covers, it says any game uh, in production as of February 17th, 2015 can finish production. But those starting production after that date will be subject to strike, which I think is, a little interesting in the video game world. Does that mean Beyond Good and Evil 2 gets to finish? <laughs> yeah, define in right. production as of 2015. Or Red Dead gets to finish. But I think it's interesting. You and I are both members of, of SAG. And while I think they've certainly had their problems and issues over the years, I think they've also done a lot of good for actors and uh, creatives in the industry. And I'm curious to see how this kind of shakes out. It's not that I think video games need to be more expensive to make. But, you know, the original story of some of the voice actors kind of speaking out about some of the working conditions um, sounded pretty hellacious. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as you said, card carrying member of SAG here, dues paying member of SAG. Um, so not exactly impartial on this one. But, yeah, I have personal experience doing VO stuff for games. I have lots of people I know, and I have lots of anecdotal stories I've read about even the, the very successful folks at the, at the highest levels of, of VO and performance capturing games. And, you know, this is, unless you're, you know, Nolan North or, you know, a handful of others, it is not, it doesn't pay well. It They take advantage of you in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of uh, very harmful. Uh, think of the video games that you play and how often people are shouting, you know, get down, get behind that cover, get him. You know, all that stuff are people shouting in a room over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, those conditions can be harmful to your vocal cords, quite honestly. Also, it's a very lucrative business, video games. And as the line continues to blur between what is a piece of sort of filmed entertainment and what is a piece of digital interactive entertainment as those two things continue to converge and we have, you know, performance capture, you know, what's the difference between performance capture and something like Avatar and performance capture and something like Mafia 3, you know, where, what is the difference there? Those things probably should be negotiated as far as what rates are like, because right now the payment methods, payment structures for those two things are completely different. You know, in one you get residuals and the other you don't. Talk about the Wild West. Hey, yo. yeah, yeah. So, uh, that, yeah, real quick, someone asked in the chat um, what publishers or what trade group are they talking to? I don't think this is an exclusive list, but um, from Shack News, some of the publishers that would be affected by the strike include Activision Publishing, Blind Light LLC, 
Corpse of Discovery Films, Disney Character Voices, Inc., Electronic Arts Productions, Inc., Formosa Interactive, Insomniac, Interactive Associates. It's everybody. Take <laughs> Two, VoiceWorks Production, and WB. Well, not everybody. That's the interesting thing about it. I mean, those are very large ones. Yeah. But they're not. there is no... It's not as if SAG goes over to knocks on video games dot L, you know LLC and it's like Mister Video Games and it's well, like yes Mister SAG. Is, yeah. is this just a matter of of sort of the difference between the haves and the have-nots? Because you know you're mentioning WB and I'm thinking Mark Hamill and you're mentioning Activision and I'm thinking Kevin Spacey. I mean like there have been huge huge actors and incredibly well-known people who have done a lot of voice work. Uh, obviously Mark Hamill's come back and done this in, a number of times. Now obviously they have different deals and agents and they can negotiate things that people who don't have that name recognition can't do. But, uh, it, it doesn't seem like every company is, or, or, or every game has the same interest in the quality of their voice actors. <laughs> like, well, that's true. you know what I mean? Like there's some games where you're just like, these voice actors are amazing. This is an incredible performance. Like these guys are doing really great or these girls are amazing. And then there's other games and, and companies that just it's garbage. So I, I just wonder if it if it boils down to some of that, too. Like, well, again, I'm not impartial here, but I think oftentimes what you're hearing is the difference between SAG actors and non. You know, oftentimes what you're hearing is when it's a, a, a real guild actor, you're going to get a level of quality and a level of work. And that's really what unions are about, right? It's the fact that the people who are the best of the best band together and say, hey, even though the upper echelon of us get treated really, really well and, and get paid really, really well and do, do you know, basically what we want because we have status. We are going to band together with the middle and the lower echelon and ensure that their experiences are better by refusing to work at the highest level, right? So that we, we are all united. It's a union. We're, you know, you know, sticking together and we're saying, hey, even though I'm doing well, I'm going to make sure that the guy lower on the totem pole has some rights to by striking if necessary. So this would mean, if this were to actually happen, that the next Batman game would not have Mark Hamill in it. Theoretically, or, uh, you know, they can't get started on the next Batman game, or they can't, uh, you know, do any kind of VO work until this is resolved. Or, you know, either that's the decision they have to make, is do they cross the union lines and, you know, get non-union actors to do those parts, or do they wait and... uh, try to resolve this. And that's what strikes try to do is put pressure on these companies to say, Hey, if you want your top tier talent, make this happen, make, you know, figure this out and, and, and make a, a deal that we're all happy with. Yeah. I was, I was, I'm just trying to make a, uh, the point that I think a lot of people are going to be reading this story. It might, it might kind of glaze over because they, you know, they're not members of SAG or they don't really understand kind of the value of that. But if you are, you know, if we're talking about, yeah, I mean, these are top tier talent who are not going to be appearing in your games and these, you know, yeah. these, these incredible, voices that we've just come to expect or love the Troy Bakers or the Nolan Norths, like they're not going to be in your games. Like right. that's what, that's what we're talking about here. Yes, absolutely. We'll see how this all plays out, but, um, strikes are never good for any side. In my opinion, it's all, it, it hurts the people that want to work. It hurts the companies that want to make games. So it's in everybody's best interest to get this resolved and hopefully it'll happen quickly. Um, I'll tell you as, as somebody who has been around for several SAG strikes, it's brutal. It's almost never good. And yeah, I mean, you can look back for listeners. I think an easier maybe example is to look back at the writer's strike and just, you know, look up when the writer's strike started and when it was affected and, and the shows that were on and what was happening. And if you go back and watch um, like Jay Leno monologues and stuff like that, like it's just very different, the, the caliber of work. And that's something where I think 
it may be akin to voice acting where you don't necessarily consider it because the writers aren't the person in front of your face the whole time. But there was a noticeable drop off in the type of stuff that could be on screen in the quality of that content. And I think you'll see the same thing. I mean, hopefully this gets resolved, but it's interesting. I think that it's got to this point because we first talked about, you know, the story. It was was it a year ago even? I mean, it was a yeah. long time ago and they're still haven't uh, met in the middle anywhere. Uh, some discussion in the the chat. Uh, Texmin says, "Are fall games affected?" No, all of the all that stuff has been long in the can. Um, so any of the games that are coming out this fall likely have no effect from this. But it's stuff that's you know coming out over the next year that are, they're probably recording now and over the next few months. All right, um, you know I want to have my story of the week be another kind of rumor question mark thing because it's got me so excited. There are several stories now talking about BlizzCon, which is right around the corner, November 4th and 5th, uh, Blizzard's big convention here in Southern California. And rumors, and it seems to be some clues that there may be a fourth Diablo game announced. Um, again, very similar to Red Dead. It's we don't. It's funny how we get into this position now with video games. Is is it a sequel or is it a remake of a game that we already have? Are we getting a remaster or are we getting a real new game? Um, Either one would be exciting for me, quite honestly, but I'm such a huge Blizzard fan. I'm such a huge Diablo fan, put well over 100 hours into Diablo 3, and uh, the the evidence for a Diablo 4 is, um, is twofold. Uh, first, there is a promo pack for BlizzCon that has a four-sided dice, which is commonly referred to in the parlance of our day, a D4. D4, of course, D3 being Diablo's designation, D4 would be a Diablo 4 designation. Uh, and not only that, the four-sided die has three, doesn't have the regular numbers you would have on a four-sided die. Instead, it has three ones and a four. So people are saying that that is, uh, you know, 11, uh, what? That's 11-4, right, is the date of of... BlizzCon, so that's kind of like the date of BlizzCon, and it's a D4, so they're saying ah, it's, a, it's a kind of a sly reference to the fact that Diablo 4 is being announced. Also, the floor map of the convention, last year the floor map, you know, they break it out into different games on the on the show floor. So, you know, they'll have Heroes of the Storm, they'll have Overwatch, and on the floor map, you'll see where you go to, to play those games. Last year, the floor map said Diablo 3, and this year, the floor map says Diablo. So people are thinking, well, why wouldn't they push put a three there if that's where Diablo three was? Anyway, all of that is to say Diablo four, maybe <laughs> guys. Uh, ben, what do you think of this? I think it's garbage. I mean, <laughs> I mean you I, talk I, for twenty minutes and they're like, ah, I just they, you know, he sounded really happy about it. I mean, like. I, <laughs> I'm not saying that Diablo 4 is not coming because for sure they're going to make another Diablo. They make Diablo games, they make a billion dollars. So like, yeah, they're going to make a Diablo 4. But I, I mean, all this stuff, and maybe I'm going to be an idiot and in a couple of weeks it'll be like Diablo 4, welcome to BlizzCon. But I I think all this stuff is a little um, is a little far-fetched. The reason I, I'm a little dubious about it is because Diablo 3 came out, I think in 2012. And we saw the expansion, Reaper of Souls, I think, came out in 2014. It just feels like it's a little early for them to already be diving into another Diablo. And I know that um, they have sort of sped up a little bit of that stuff. I mean, it was 12 years in between Diablo 2 and 3, so I'm not expecting it to take another decade before right. we get 
Diablo 4, but they have so much on their plate right now with Overwatch, you know, having just launched and they're supporting that game. They're they're supporting Heroes of the Storm, Hearthstone. All of these games, they're kind of turning themselves into a bit of an esports company. That's really been a, a big part of their focus. I'd be a little surprised if if this was going to be um, their next. I'm not surprised that this is going to be their next game. I'm a little surprised that this would be um, this early and and arrive here. I mean, Overwatch just launched. You know, this this you know this this past what May or whatever. And uh, yeah, this is the first big BlizzCon with Overwatch like having been out and and been there. I don't think they're going to want to take a ton away from that. Um, so I'm I'm a little bit. Mm, I don't really think it's going to be Diablo 4. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a remaster, though. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think everyone's doing that these days, and especially with the Xbox One S coming out and doing well, and with the PS4 Pro coming. I mean, everyone wants to to, to remonetize their old properties these days, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing that. Well, if it was just Diablo 3 in the Heroes of the Storm engine, I would be over the moon, because I think <laughs> Heroes of the Storm engine is just gorgeous. So I would already be happy with that, but... Uh... Uh, thanks for pouring water on my excitement. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> no, it's okay. Again, you know, look, I would, I have no, I have absolutely no inside information here. So I'm not like, nope, it's not. And here's why. Like, I'm just the gut feeling, knowing Blizzard, they, they move so slowly. And like, they don't tend to, I don't believe, and maybe I'm again wrong here. I don't remember them making like huge game announcements over and over again at BlizzCon. I think maybe Overwatch might have been announced at a, maybe not. I don't even remember. Yeah, like, Overwatch not, was announced I, at a BlizzCon. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, so that was. But like, you know, I don't expect every year to get huge brand new game announcements out of out of BlizzCon. I don't think that's what it's for. That's very true. It's very rare to get a, In fact, Overwatch is the first new IP they've done in like a thousand years. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christian, what do you think? Does the, the dice don't lie or the dice do lie? What do you think? <laughs> well, they had a tweet out too, Diablo. It's like uh, <laughs> fans of Diablo, you, you, you know, you might want to be interested in BlizzCon. So they're doing something. Whether it's a full Diablo four, my if I had to bet, I would bet it is not. Do I? I think it might not be a remake though. I, I don't know if it's an. I could see them maybe doing another expansion, a la Reaper of Souls or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that paired with a remake of Diablo two, which is still mini gamers' favorite Diablo ever made. Um, I, I would see those as more likely than Diablo four, but I would love to be proven wrong, especially if they can launch a Diablo four based on everything they learned in Diablo 3. I mean, I remember when Diablo 3 launched, like the hype was crazy. Then the game came out and it was like, this is awful. (laughs) I mean, maybe not awful, but there was a strong negative pushback to that game. And then by the time the console editions came out and Reaper came out and they continued to work on it, they turned Diablo 3 into an incredible, incredible entry in that franchise. So I'd love to see that version of Diablo 4, hopefully. (laughs) Um. We don't have tons of time because I know that there's so many games to talk about. And I really want to have that be the meat of the show. But it sounds like this might be the last week that we have any kind of speculation about what Nintendo NX might be. So I just want to have one last chance really quickly for us to speculate because it sounds like the rumor is next week we may be getting a reveal of Nintendo's new console um, and it's been so fun. We've had what two years of this, just us continuing to speculate on what what this is, thing is going to be. So Ben, you're here. I would love to hear you just you know really quickly what what you think the NX is going to be. Are you going to be excited for it? Um, what do you think the price point is going to be? Any kind of prediction you want to make? Oh man, I have no idea. <laughs> it's I you know I'm reading the same stuff everyone else is, and I I think. All right, here's 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 what I think. I do think they're going to be finding a way to try to marry 
their mobile, you know, experiences with with a, a conventional <laughs> console, and that's obviously not a far fetched. That's they've pretty much said as much, and I and I do believe that. I think it makes sense for them. They've had a lot of success with their DS line, and they've obviously seen a huge amount of success with Pokemon Go, which is they're partly responsible for. And then Super Mario Run, whatever that thing's called, that thing's gonna do great. Like they they know that they need to be where people are if they want to succeed as a game publisher and as a game maker. And people are no longer always just camped out in front of their console. They're playing games all over the place. So I think tying the two together makes sense. I don't know what the thing's going to look like. I I think it would make sense for it to be, you know, sized like a, you know, almost like a Wii U tablet that has actually got all the stuff in it. And you can hook it up to your TV uh, if you want and play games that way. I I think the price point, I mean, I'm reading a little bit about these, um, the rumors here, uh, this group that's saying it's going to retail between 300 and 350. Um, you know, I, I can't see them pricing up significantly. I think the company still views themselves as a toy company, mm-hmm. even though, you know, they're a video game manufacturer. They, they, they really always do their own thing. And even though they say like, well, we're going to do some online stuff. Well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep up with everybody or we're going to kind of realign a little bit. I, I still think they're going to want to keep themselves, Nintendo, and that means pricing things a little bit differently, pricing down a little bit. So I'd be surprised if it was three fifty. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it came in at the top at at, at two ninety nine, which is where most consoles seem to sort of be at their most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so my guess would be starting at two ninety nine, coming down in price to two fifty at some point, and some sort of you know tablety sort of thing that you can take out in the world or bring back and hook up to your TV, and that. That's to me, honestly, just a summation of everything we know. I don't have any extra to add to this, but I'm rooting for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally rooting for him. The Wii U sucked. I didn't like it. I, I've never liked the Wii U. I've struggled so many of those games. You would have this giant tablet controller in your hand, and you're like, "Why am I? Why do I have this huge controller? There's nothing happening on this tablet screen, yeah. and I've got this awful huge controller." They just never made this thing work. So, I, you know. They have made cool platforms in the past, and I'm excited for them to to take another swing at it. Interesting, 299 would put them right in line with like the Xbox One S, right, and the PlayStation Four. We're in that world, so if power wise, we're not in that world. I don't, that'd be interesting. Um, Christian, you want to make any last uh, swings at the fence? 350. Uh, they show it with a couple of great looking games, and we we're like, I can't believe this is a Tegra mobile chip. And then they say it's not coming out until <laughs> holiday 2017. I think they push the release date from that expected March, but they come out punching with a couple of really cool things. And then I think it's hitting; it's it's coming in over three hundred dollars. I agree with the with the uh, the the release delay. Really, I don't think they're I don't think they're going to get it out at March. Man, that that would be a bummer. Uh, I've I've come out against Nintendo delays before, and I've always been wrong. So uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say that this time. I do think that they've they've really hit home that whole March thing. So I, if it's, yeah, I don't know if it's not coming out until next, excuse me. If it's not coming out until next holiday, I, uh, I would be, I would be surprised if they were announcing it this early, you know, like, I don't know. Certainly Zelda is going to be center uh, for that experience. Um, and I think that what we saw at E3 with, uh, link walking around with a tablet in his hand, I think it's like, that was a clue that, Hey, it's a, it's a tablet thingy. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's going to be fascinating to see. I would be shocked if they're at 350. I think that's a mistake. I think their whole goal is to like make this one the inexpensive family buy it for your kids because it doesn't cost an arm and a leg thing. Well, can I just throw this out there? People have talked about integration of like a Pokemon Go version and this, that, and the other when they're talking about this console, but no one seems to talk about it being partnered with AT&T or Verizon or having a wireless chip in it or not a wireless chip, I'm sorry, wireless a yeah, an LTE chip or something like that. And the Vita launched with one, but it was awful. <laughs> like no one, you know, you did not want to buy that version of it. No, no games really supported it. You couldn't do Wi-Fi or, gosh, I keep, my mind is slipping. Uh, you couldn't do um, multiplayer gaming through it. And for this thing to have that, are you going to be buying this thing? Let's say it's $200, but you're also buying a cell plan, uh, a cell package or data tethering. Like I think to me, that's maybe the biggest unanswered question about this because a, a phone in your pocket and all those games and that interaction is one thing, but just having basically what's a 3DS on the go, but you're playing the new Zelda is it's cool and great, but it's a very different experience, I think, than where some people's imaginations are going. I think they're going to get I think they're going to get killed if they start tying it into mobile plans. Everyone's already infuriated with their current mobile plan. Everybody I know is like, oh, yeah, I mean, I have AT&T and I had to get a new phone and it was like, wait a minute, I can't just get the plan with the cheap phone. I have to now buy like the loan agreement plan like it's every no one i know loves their mobile system and um or sorry their mobile plan i feel like if they start going down that route oh man they're just gonna get they're gonna get beaten up about it i think i think they need to simplify i mean i know this is going to be hard to simplify because they're doing a a mobile console hybrid thing but but they succeed as a company when they have a very straightforward concept and when they start to complicate it they fail and I think that's, you know, what happened with the Wii, right? The original Wii, super simple. You barely had an online setup at all. And you basically just swung your controllers around to hit tennis balls. That was basically the sale <laughs> of the entire system. Yeah. I and mean, even by the end of the Wii, that was still the best thing you could do with it pretty much. And it was simple. And I think the Wii U has been so complicated. Like I've never been able to understand wait, I'm running around this world. Are these all my friends on the screen? The home screen's a mess. Trying to find the settings is a mess. Trying to log into things is a mess. I think they need to keep whatever this thing is fairly simple to understand. I, I don't know if they will, but I think that's crucial to its success. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's going to work like the the, the um, 3DS. You know, you can hook up to Wi-Fi when you're around Wi-Fi, but if you're on the go, you're not going to get any multiplayer or any kind of downloadable functionality. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, supposedly next week. We'll see if that's even true. <laughs> but uh, all right, guys, we've got tons to talk about. But I do want to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. You've heard me talk about Squarespace a lot. That's because I've used them forever. I mean, it's been over a decade that I've used Squarespace happily, uh, referring friends to Squarespace, referring family members to Squarespace, because it really is the best way to have any kind of online presence. It's the easiest. You're going to have a website that looks great, that's super dependable, doesn't going to have any kind of uh, performance issues or it's not going to go down, not going to have any problems, people logging on or downloading things from your website. You can build storefronts with it very easily. It's all drag and drop. It's all what you see is what you get. Uh, just, just, you know, easy, easy edits online of your of your site it's a great tool to create something it's a great hosting place i use it with jeffcanada.com and have done for many many years now and i love it uh, i think it's ease of use is really what you want out of a web portal out of a out of a web design 
sweet, and really Squarespace allows that. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can go check it out yourself. If you go to squarespace.com slash DLC, you can start building your website now. You, you don't have to even give them a credit card. You can use their tools, build your website, build your storefront, build your online portfolio. Really anything you need in, in, as a website is there for the taking. Squarespace has the tools to make that happen, has the best stuff, templates that you can use. Make it look your own. It's going to look beautiful. Build it, make sure you like it, and then once you do... You can sign up for their plan, use our promo code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, and you'll get 10% off your order, and you'll show that you support our show, you show that their support of our show is important to you. Uh, this, is, this is really cool. Also, if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. That's pretty cool, too, because that is an extra cost you don't even have to worry about. Squarespace.com slash DLC. Build your website. Use our promo code, Jeff sent me. Get yourself 10% off and uh, be happy. That's how that works. All right, guys, now it's time for the playlist. Tons of really cool games out right now and and over the next couple of weeks they're gonna the hits will keep on coming. Ben, I'm curious what's on your playlist right now. Other than PSVR, which we'll get to. Other than PSVR. Okay, well, right now I'm actually uh, playing Mafia 3 or trying to complete it. Um, you know, we, we all got that game in really late. Mm -hmm. um, this is 2K's new thing where they send you a game like the day before it comes out and it's a huge game and you're like, thanks guys, that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, and as a reviewer, I know that sounds super uh, entitled, but <laughs> when you're trying to review these things, you do actually need some sort of lead up and I uh, did not get that. So I am slowly making my way through mafia three. Um, and, uh, I don't, oh, it's kind man, of a slog, right? It is. I don't love it. I mean, I, I hated it at E3. I was like, I could not stand their demo of that. It was like, it was all of the stuff that's grim and hour about Grand Theft Auto without any of the like lightheartedness that you need out of an open world game where you're just murdering so many people. At some point you need some sort of comic relief or something to kind of let you take a breath that kind of Tarantino feel where you can kind of say, okay, well, this is all absurd because I'm killing all these people. Mm -hmm. And at least the demo they had at E3 didn't really have that at all. It was just so super serious and just death. And I'm finding in, in the final version that it that part about it isn't that upsetting to me. There, there is a little bit more lightheartedness, and it's not as constant with with the murdering. I don't know. Um, it feels weird to me. The, I'll, I'll go through a this like crazy racist cutscene and do this really dark thing, and I'm it's so intense and realistic and grounded. And then I'll like walk outside and I'll get in my car and it'll be like hemorrhoid commercial. night, <laughs> I ain't got nobody. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like hilarious hemorrhoids commercial that we recorded for this game. And isn't that funny? And like, um, no, it's not. Uh, what, 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 what product is it for? Just like my friend was curious about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it, 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 it struggles to kind of like figure out its tone because it, it is so heavy with, you know, it's, it's, setting and the racism and and i like that i love how mature a lot of that stuff is especially the first maybe two hours of that game uh are spectacular i was totally shocked i agree I, and it's because the game isn't an open world game yet 
Yeah, that's exactly right. It's like, it's just this really well-crafted narrative about this, you know, guy coming back from Vietnam and, and hooking up with his old pals and they're all kind of shady and in a gang. And, and it's got this kind of energy and it's got this storytelling style where they have these flashbacks and you know, something bad's coming, but you don't know what it is. And, and it's so in its time and its setting and all the accents are there and all of the kind of newsreel clips and, and that racism that's pervasive that, that so many games shy away from, but this game doesn't, I thought it was just really masterfully done and then you start getting into the open world stuff and it's just like oh this is just another bad grand theft auto this is just like kind of a bad and that's been the story i think we forgot that's been the story of mafia mafia 2 same problem i mean it was just like you'd get in your car you drive to one point all the way across the map and you have to drive all the way back and you kept doing it over and over again and this game it's the same thing i'm just like luckily it's got the best soundtrack maybe in any game ever i love the soundtrack so being in the car is kind of great because you can just listen to music but but the the gameplay just isn't doing it and it's it's a bummer because there's so much of a cool narrative here i just i wish it, it held held together better yeah in the chat uh g wizard agrees he said i was floored by the opening hours of mafia 3 and then the game started <laughs> yeah that's that's almost the intro to my review i mean i started writing it and that was basically what i was i was i was going at and i think a lot of people are feeling that um that being said i i i am surprised that it's it's not as as grim and and kind of hate-filled as i thought it was there is there is still something about it that has a lot of a lot of life especially in the storytelling and a lot of great work was done in the making of it i I just think it, it stumbles a lot in its gameplay. Yeah, it's a shame because it has so much potential and it's really it really shooting for something that's laudable, right? You 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 want games to be as ambitious thematically and narratively as this game is and then when you play it you're just like, uh, can I just watch the cutscenes? <laughs> the cutscenes yeah. are good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like what game is like that? What game are you like, "Oh my god, finally another cutscene." Usually it's like, "Oh man, a cutscene." Like right. skip, 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 skip. But no, this is the opposite. It's like I want to skip the gameplay and just like, yeah, like get another shot of that guy who's playing the uh, the father, the priest, because oh, he's, he's so great. Good. Yeah, he's great. I just like, no, get that guy on screen again because that's what I want to watch. Uh, we almost never have anybody on the show who has been playing Skylanders. So, are you enjoying playing Skylanders or Because uh, evidently, the new big news from Skylanders is that you can create a Skylander and then have it three D printed. Yeah, I, so I did that. I actually, I, I drove up to Toys for Bob, who are in Novato, uh, not far from me up here in Northern California. And, uh, you know, I, I don't usually leap at the chance to, to visit developers, but I'm a huge fan of Toys for Bob. I think you know why, Jeff. Not only um, Skylanders games, which I think have been kind of cool over the years, um, they made StarCraft Two. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not StarCraft Two. pardon me, Star Control right. Two, StarCon Two course not starcraft um star control 2 is my favorite video game of all time so I, one of mine too it, when i was reviewing games for the newspaper back in the day i gave star control 2 a 10 was only one of three games i ever gave a 10 to what were the other two uh street fighter 2 for the super nintendo mm-hmm. uh, because it was the first time you could ever play an arcade game at home what and uh, ultima 7 which is my favorite game of all time okay all good games. I would have given Star Control an 11. I think that game is 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 still incredible and was way ahead of its time. And the the CEO of Toys for Bob is a guy named uh, Paul Ritchie the 3rd and he is maybe the most underrated 
kind of video game industry figure. This is a guy who not only made Star Control, he made Archon back in the day, the chess game. Um, And he actually made a Dungeons and Dragons character um, with Gary back in 1970, whatever. I think the Thrykreen. He actually designed a real D&D character, like a monster. This guy's been making monsters his entire life. His company makes monsters. So I got up to... To, to their office and and got to play with it. I created a a character using their character creator, and they were like, "You can three D print it." And I got the news early, and I was all excited. And I'm like, "I'm like, cool. Send me the three D print of this character so I can take a picture of it and include it in my story," which was a couple weeks ago. And I never got it, so oh. <laughs> I I haven't actually seen it work where you create one of these and they send it to you. However, I did get a three D printed character that they're using to promote the game just not yours it's not mine right they sent me i was so bummed they sent me this thing i'm like oh my god sweet it's magic pants like my crazy looking cyclops with the disco pants like here he is and uh it's not it's this other hoodwinked which is this promotional character they're using in the new skylanders you can design your own character and then we'll 3d print the one that we 3d print and send a different one (laughs) yeah so it's kind of a drag um I do have my character, Magic Pants, they sent me on a t-shirt. So you can also get a t-shirt oh, that's funny. of your dude. And you can also get a playing card, which you can use like a Skylander. So you can put it on a portal. It's like just a card. And that'll warp your character into the game. So I, I do believe this will work. Um, I, it's also really limited. Get how many 3D prints they're going to do. It's going to be not everybody who buys the game can do it. So it's going to be like very limited number of, of codes or whatever to, to access this. So that part is kind of gimmicky and i think cool but what you really do in the game is you do create your own skylander which is new and that's you know just a create a character system which is like you'd see in any other game but it's it's good that part's good the part that's not good is the fact that this is i don't know what is this this fifth skylanders game or sixth skylanders game and it's just like all the other ones i mean it's it's the same it's the same deal it's like you know half of the content's gated you can't, you know, you, you, you have to have a sensei, which is the new characters you can buy in the stores. You have to have a sensei of the earth variety to open this store. And you're just still fighting that thing where you're supposed to go buy a million of these things. I have a million of these Skylanders. I, I don't know why people have to keep reinvesting. It's, it's starting to ask way too much without enough of a reward. Like the gameplay isn't different. It's the same thing. And especially if you have already maxed out a bunch of your Skylanders because you've been playing this since 2011. I don't know who wants to start over, get another character, and then get all his abilities. And it's 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 an incredibly expensive endeavor. There's a reason why Disney got out of this racket. And it's starting to feel like a bit of a racket. So I think the game, Toys for Bob, they make quality games. The actual action is fine. The storytelling's fine. The voice acting, ironically, we've been talking about SAG problems, is pretty good and is it's it's delivered well and kids will like it. It's just these days, the investment, I just don't see it, it being worth it. Fair enough. Um, I know that both of you guys have been playing Gears of War 4. I talked about it a lot last week, but uh, Christian, you want to kick the conversation off on Gears of War 4? Sure, I'm. Um, uh, I think on chapter four of Act Two, so I'm not super deep into the game. Um, I got it later than I wanted to, and then surprise, other other things came out. <laughs> um, uh, I like it. I don't love it with the other things that I have um, at my disposal to play right now. I've been forcing myself to continue to play Gears instead of playing other things that I'm maybe more interested in because I'm curious to see if it. Uh, 
you know, pulls me in more or something like that. I think I tweeted out that my hot take on Gears 4 was that it was beautiful, polished, well-made, and I forgot how much I hate the, the trademark bullet sponginess of their enemies. I'm playing on normal difficulty, and I get that part of that bullet sponginess is to encourage the use of the active reload and kind of have you pinging in and out of cover and the new enemies they have that kind of jump over cover. So you're kind of running, rolling, reloading. You're not just like two shot headshotting someone, but it just is a little to me, it feels antiquated where I, I I dump 500 bullets into a run of the mill grunt uh, level enemy and that aspect of it isn't fun. But I'm enjoying um, everything else about the game, I guess. It's just that version of the combat I wish they kind of tweaked a little bit. Ben, what about you? Yeah, I mean, when you were talking about Bullet Sponge, I I was... I, my problem with Gears of War is that I feel like the enemies are, are like literally sponges. Like when I shoot at them... They they suck up the bullets. They don't they don't it doesn't feel like I'm hitting them. Like they just take just you're just like little sprays of blood and you're just unloading clips into them and they're just like walking forward. They're not they're not flailing. They're not like you're shooting them in the foot and they're yeah, falling. Yeah, you're not over. staggering them back so that you can flank or do something. It's just no, like they're, they just the T two thousand or what's the the liquid terminator? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's it's the cop. It's a liquid cop. It's. I, it's been my problem with the series for a long time. I just feel like you hide behind cover. You like, you know, poke your head out and you just like are unloading on guys that aren't being affected really by your bullets until all of a sudden they just collapse and their gun flies in the air. And you're like, Oh, I guess that hit, you know, that was enough. They couldn't take anymore. <laughs> I, I don't, I can't get behind this anymore. I feel like there have been, well, if you don't count the ultimate edition, there have been, I think five gears of Wars games released in 10 years. And that it never feels like it's flooded, right? Compared to Assassin's Creed, where there's one every year, um, or Call of Duty. But I feel like in those 10 years, between those five games, not a lot's changed and not enough has changed. And I'm looking now for this series to change and to take some steps into some new directions, especially after we go to E3 and we see that God of War yeah. re-envisioning. And I'm like, oh my God, look at, look at what they're doing. They're rethinking. This is great. And I was dying for that for Gears of War. And instead, it's just, it's more of the same. I mean, all the reviews all even say it's more of the same. And that's great. And they do it well. And I just, I, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm partway through, uh, or I, I just finished Act One, and I am struggling to go back to that game. Well, I talked a lot about this last week, but um, I felt like there were a lot of cool new ideas in the early part of the game in the sense of how sci-fi it became and, and all the robot enemies and the robot environments. And then in the second and third act or actually third and fourth act I should say you it just turns into an old gears of war game and that's a bummer but for me so you're telling me it's not going to get better it gets way worse it gets way <laughs> less uh less unique it gets it, it reverts back to being very much it could have been from any gears of war game um so that so I yeah sorry about to break that to you but well okay I'm definitely not <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I didn't play the last one, which was like the Baird one, where Baird was the... Judgment. Yeah, I didn't play that one. So I had taken enough time away from the series to sort of be pleasantly reminded what I liked about that. That The active reload is fun. The world is cool. The chunkiness of all that stuff, the hiding behind cover. I was like, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed these games. And it had been long enough that I, I really had a blast playing through the campaign, but... Your both of your criticisms are valid, and and I think it's it's very true that 
Uh, it has a very specific hook, and if you're not into that hook, but that's the thing that's such a bummer is like at the beginning of the game, like you're you're finding these robots and they're dropping from the sky, and it's like all these cool new ideas that you've never seen before in a Gears game, and the universe is kind of expanded, and the fiction is interesting, and then it takes a massive detour. And that's the whole rest of the game feels like this detour. It's like, okay, well, we got to go save somebody now. Time out. And it's like, well, we never time back in. <laughs> we're just, we're always, and then the game just ends. And you're like, oh, the whole game was the detour? That's a bummer. Um, I mean, for me, the biggest knock against it right now is just that there are games I'm more interested in, which I, I think is maybe a little unfair to Gears. And maybe if I got it on release day before I had some of these other games, I would have been more invested but i just this this is my personal baggage i can't help but like it was late last night i saw you up late last night playing games too mr canada because yeah, uh, well, i had to I, I had to finish that uh that batman vr because you're like do you finish batman vr i was like no oh, I it's so good um so like i got kids to bed i got work done and then i you know snuck away to play some video games and i was i was like okay i got to play more gears so i can talk about more gears and as i was sitting there playing more gears i was just thinking about all the other games that are out right now that I would have, that I am enjoying more. Okay, well, so let's think- talk about those because like, I know because Battlefield One unlocks for me tonight. Uh, I'm excited to play it because of you. I was not excited until you t- told me Battlefield One. Got to, got to play right, it. Jeff. Tell me you got a review copy. I did. Okay. Why? Well, I, I, I just feel bad making you spend money if you don't like it. But uh, Ben, have you played any Battlefield One that you can talk about? <laughs> uh no i'm not we have another person here who uh who got the the early early code and is reviewing it so i've i've played it at you know all the various events uh but i have not played that that, that campaign yet um you guys i don't know if it'll crack into my top five and i haven't finished it i'm playing ea access uh version of it which is just kind of two story moments or whatever but i'm you know over two hours into it holy crap I had not followed the single player campaign of Battlefield 1 at all. I don't know how much, you know, information they had released about it. To me it was just kind of a non-starter. I know they did the story trailer and I was just like, "Yo, that's not World War." And I was just I was annoying snarky internet guy and you? I apologize. You Christian? Annoying snarky internet not. guy? Believe it or not. <laughs> I'm um is that how many bars I can sing of that song? Yeah. It uh holy crap. And it's not World War 1 authentic. I don't want to say that I my criticisms of the game weren't justified of like you're in a biplane that does uh, loops <laughs> i did four loops in a biplane and flew it for four hours like that's not world war one um but the way the campaign starts for battlefield one is up there with one of the best openings of any first person shooter i have ever played i don't want to say specifics because yeah, i want people me. to yeah experience it the frostbite engine i'm playing on xbox one so i can't imagine on pc uh how much better it might look the frostbite engine is just still stunning if i think the only criticism you might have with this game assuming it doesn't fall off a cliff later jeff um is it really makes me want a battlefront uh narrative because <laughs> it's just says. like <laughs> like i'm i'm playing this and there's part of it where you're in the forest and i'm like i'm on indoor I'm on Endor. Just make me a rebel. Make, make, make me a rebel. Um, but as I played, I think I have two hours up on my Twitch and archived on my YouTube. And as I'm playing it, I'm just like, okay, that was incre- holy. That was incredible. This game has to fall off. Like, there's no way they can maintain this momentum. And it 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 justifiably rests a little bit after I end my stream um, when I've played a little more of it. But like those first two hours, it's it's varied. It's it's interesting. The the plot, while basic, is well acted and well animated, and um, 
whole I think if you have written off Battlefield 1's single player campaign, maybe reconsider it. Don't maybe spend 60 bucks on it, rent it if you can, but those opening that opening 30 minutes is just in I've now overhyped it, but yeah, it's incredible. I'm, I'm, I am literally typing, by the way, I am writing an email to my PR. <laughs> That's what I did. I, you're me clicking. I am clicking. That's a, am after like, Christian started talking about um, that, I was like, well, now I got to play this because I was going to p- completely skip that this year. I'm glad the way that I'm the one that likes the game and yet I'm the one that's paying money to play it. And you're like, I guess I'll play it. Uh, give me a free copy. <laughs> Go to H-E double hockey sticks, both of you guys. <laughs> Oh man! Listen, you got you, listen. You got to take it while you can, because in this business, you never know when you're working at a GameStop the next day. It's it's, it, but it's incredible. The multiplayer um, still isn't for me. I, I think it's well made, and people are having fun with it. Um, I'm not competitive in it, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm not going to put in the time to become competitive in it. But uh, the single player campaign has been a, a real, real treat, a real unexpected treat for me this holiday season. Well, let's uh, let's get to the meat. That I've been excited for. Let's... Oh, can I just say real quick? Oh, sorry. Sure. The Overwatch Halloween content is shallow and small. It's kind of just one horde mode, but is Blizzard being Blizzard again and pulling you back into that game in a in a fun, interesting way. And I've had a I've had a lot of fun with it. And the first Halloween skin I unlocked, they give you one free Halloween loot box or like automatic loot box. Um, I got Soldier 76's kind of Michael Jackson thriller zombie, <laughs> which is the one I wanted. Awesome. So love it. That's, love that's it. Awesome. Uh, all right, well, let's uh, let's move on to VR Talk. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering, 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 they offer too, but they mostly offer high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, and a simple but powerful control panel they are up 99.9% of the time. They have 24-7 support experts for that 0.1% when you might have a problem. And all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now, Linode offers 2 gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust Linode, including 5x5. All the infrastructure on 5x5 is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is easy. You just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today to support the show and use promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. Linode, simple, powerful, reliable. All right, guys, let's have a little VR talk. VR segment, Jeff, 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 Jeff's VR segment, VR, 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 Jeff's VR segment, Jeff, 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 Jeff's VR segment, VR, VR, VR. PlayStation VR has hit this week, bringing VR to the masses. Ben, did it bring VR to the masses? It brought VR to the mass of uh, flesh that sits on my couch, which would be me. It definitely brought (laughs) VR into my life uh, in a much easier way than my Oculus Rift has, right? I mean, it's it's, it's far and away the most accessible of the big three. it's. I would even say it's more accessible than Gear VR because Gear VR requires a a, a non exploding Samsung phone, <laughs> which is a little hard to find these days. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I'll say this: it it delivered kind of exactly what I thought it was going to deliver based on what I had experienced. You and I, you know, saw it together when they actually announced the pricing at, at GDC. Um, 
Um, I think it maybe was a little bit better than I even anticipated, just in terms of the of the quality um, of the visuals, which are not anywhere on par with, I think, the Rift and the Vive. I think those still look much better, but of course, those are much more expensive with those rigs you're going to need to get them working. I don't think the uh, but pretty... is as, as big as I expected it to be. Yeah, I'm sorry. You said you didn't think it was as big of a golf. Yeah. yeah. No, me. That's what I'm saying. Like me too. It's it. Some of the games that you experience on PSVR are like ballpark what you would experience on on the Rift or the Vive. Like they're not quite as as high fidelity, and um, the screen door effect is is much more prominent. Like especially in between you know levels on a loading screen, it's like you're staring at this kind of grid of lines. <laughs> like it's almost like one of those magic paintings where if you kind of zone out and cross your eyes you'll see a dinosaur pop out of a big you know what i mean it's kind of like that like if you kind of don't stare at it you'll you'll kind of see it and it, it's a weird effect that sometimes throws people off um but all that being said the headset enormously comfortable enormously comfortable i can wear that for so much longer than i can wear my rift um and when you're in one of the good experiences and we'll talk about some of them there are some very good experiences at launch uh i think it's a real treat um i just think it suffers the same thing that every one of these VR headsets suffer and that most new technology suffers from, which is a lot of demo-y experimental stuff and not a lot of really compelling must have, you have to buy the hardware right now to experience the software. That's, that's always the story with launch lineups. And I think it's no different here. Did you say, Ben, that you think the screen door effect is more pronounced on PSVR than the other headsets? Is that what I heard? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, significantly, I think. Oh, I disagree. I think uh, the Oculus, it's much more prevalent. Like, I, I, I would say that with the PSVR, I would to me, it's not the screen door. Maybe I'm mincing words. Uh, but to me, it seems more like it has crushed blacks, if that makes sense. It's like artifacts versus the traditional screen door effect where... Um, but Oculus, I feel like, has that kind of traditional screen door. And Jeff, what's the the white light leak God thing? Yeah, I feel like Oculus has God both rays. of those, and PSVR looks a little Vaselined and a little yeah. artifact. I, you are coming up with so many interesting new tech terms like Vaselined. I love that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you I mean, have heard it does. my song about it in the nineties. <laughs> really? That was you this whole time. <laughs> I hear that at karaoke bars sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's also that issue with the light leak underneath uh, the PSVR headset. There's, you know, an area that kind of there's a gap between sort of where the headset hits the bottom of your face. It's called the check Twitter people. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. Although, you know, the, the, Sony made that intentional, that little gap, because they say you should be able to look down into your controller or your feet. When I try to do that and actually look down just through that hole, I actually start to get dizzy when I try to like have the headset on, but I'm looking, peering through this tiny little hole at my phone. I have to take the thing up off my head and, and do something else and put it back on my head. I find that little light leak to be a little distracting. Um, but the headset itself is so comfortable that taking it on and off, pulling it off your head for a second is like no big deal. Right. Whereas with the, the other ones, it's like a, you know, it straps and it's a whole thing. Yeah. I, um, I described it to a friend as uh, Oculus and Vive are like wearing goggles and PSVR is like wearing a hat. Yeah, yeah, a hat with a TV. Yeah, a TV like a hat. like a you know, like a headband that that has a thing on your face. But the thing on your face, it if you haven't experienced it, it's hard to describe. But it's it it basically can be completely disconnected. Like you push that button at the bottom and slide it out, and it's like it's not even on your face. And there's nothing equivalent to that with the Vive or the Oculus, and and especially the Vive. Like 
using the PSVR actually makes me a little angry at HTC <laughs> for how they built the Vive. The Vive is such a cool piece of tech, but it really feels like tech nerds in their garage just cobbled this thing together and put some elastic on it to get it on your face. And it's like no one cared to even consider it as a consumer electronics product because you can see what can be done when a consumer electronics company builds something like that. It's so smartly made just on a pure comfort level. I I can't really overstate that. Yeah. That, that rubber, that like soft rubber that they have that, that is actually what touches your face is so much more pleasant than even with the rift, which I think is more comfortable than the Vive. The rift has kind of a padding, but it still feels like the goggle, like the hard plastic of the goggle is pushing up against your, your, your socket, like your eye socket, like it, or the bridge of your nose. I mean, you can also barely wear glasses with a rift. I, I have big hipster, you know, Ray-Bans like a jerk. (laughs) And I refuse to stop doing this like a jerk, but I can wear any of my glasses with the PSVR and it's never a big deal at all. And with the other ones, it's so the comfort level is just unmatched. And I think in that sense, Sony could not have done a better job because it's still V1 hardware, which means you're still looking at an incredibly clunky experience. The cabling is atrocious and insane for something that's supposed to be sitting in your living room. But the headset itself is is uh, is I think brilliantly designed. Yeah, I've I've literally invested money in all of these mods for my Vive. I you know I bought lenses to put in correct, corrective vision lenses to that clip into my Vive. I bought. Whoa, really? Did it work? Did yeah, they they're work? awesome. Highly recommend it. I I can send you the link. It's a I can't remember the name of the company yeah. right now, but yeah, spectacular. And they sell them for Oculus as well. Um, but Oculus, I don't have as much of a problem wearing glasses in it as I do with the Vive. I also purchased mm-hmm. two different welder mask uh, replacement grids because there's all these people modding their Vive with welder mask things to you know, make it more comfortable and redistribute the weight and make the elastic straps not annoying as hell. That's what I'm doing with the Vive. Like I, I'm literally investing dollars and, and like DIYing some weird hacked-together solution <laughs> And yet, this company comes... Anyway, I beat that dead horse enough, but it, it, it really makes me upset. The other thing I will say, to speaking specifically to what you said, is um, I decided to spend a couple of hours literally going back and forth between my living room and my computer room with eValkyrie loaded on my Oculus and on the PSVR to like just do a one-to-one comparison of eValkyrie on those two, two systems. And I was very impressed with what they're able to do on a PS4. Like, it is, it's clearly better on the Oculus, like, if you're really looking for it. But the the quality that they're able to present on PS4, on the PSVR, is quite impressive. I mean, it is really close. And you, like you said, Christian, you don't have the God Rays that, you know, one of the biggest you know, complaints people have when they play uh, Eve Valkyrie specifically is how bad the God rays are because anything bright on the screen, it feels like there's this ray of sunshine in your view and the PSVR doesn't have that. Um, So kind of plus one there. It's really very impressive. And maybe we should transition now into talking about the, um, the software itself because I think it is a pretty strong lineup. And from my opinion, Batman Arkham VR, while a far too brief experience is the best proof of concept for VR available now. I just think the, the fantasy of, 
I mean, I think Eve, Valkyrie, and Batman provide those geek fantasies that we've always imagined, right? We've always wanted to be in an X-Wing fighter, you know, shooting down TIE fighters. And while it's not Star Wars branded, it gives you that feeling of being inside the cockpit of a space, you know, space vehicle. And we've, everybody's wanted to be Batman. And the, like, just, I think, I think in VR, mirrors are going to be really sought after because <laughs> yeah so no, I mean, well, no that's... spoilers on this though please no no of course not but, but very early on in the in the experience you take batman's cowl and you put it on your face and then it presents a mirror to you and you move around and batman is staring back at you and it's very yeah. convincing a feeling that oh, i am the batman you know video games are all about moments right i mean most video games are long and and if you think about a game like Grand Theft Auto you you can't even think of any particular moment it's just like you're playing and going and going but really when we look back on games great games we think about moments we think about when in the first Tomb Raider you rounded the corner and you saw the Tyrannosaurus for the very first time in like a video game polygonal that you had to fight right there's there are these moments that stick with you and i think that Batman in the mirror moment is VR's moment right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's the one that, I mean, I've shown people a million different Oculus things. And there was another Tyrannosaurus with the Oculus uh, dream deck thing where they have the, the T-Rex who walks over you. Um, and that's usually what gets people going, wow, I'm really in VR space. But the Batman moment where you're the Batman and you see your face and you're, and people in, invariably kind of dance a little and go, I'm Batman. <laughs> like they all, everyone does the same thing. Like, I'm Batman. And then like try to move around a little and it works. And you're like, this is game changing. right? Yeah. Now. It's an and, experience um, that you have literally never had in the world. Like other than wearing a very elaborate Halloween costume or something, you know, you've, <laughs> it's a video game providing an experience that video games have never, ever done. And it's smartly done with the right character where, um, as you play through the experience, you know, the, the PSVR is very comfortable compared to other VR headsets, but you're aware that you're wearing something, but it blends away and you believe that it is the cowl. Like it would be a very different experience if it was like, you know, Superman and you put on the cape and you're like, oh, look at me, I'm Superman. It's like you feel this thing on your head. You look at yourself in this mirror. You're wearing this thing on your head like you are the knight. And I, it's, I don't know, uh, Christian, I, I would pay real human dollars for just a series of mirror games <laughs> where I can <laughs> I can put on the persona of all the people I've ever fantasized about being in my life. You know, like, hey, you could be Superman. You could be Harry Potter. You could be Luke Skywalker, whatever you want. Just It's just a series of mirrors. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, already I'm in. Yeah, I mean, and and I think the experience itself is smartly made because Rocksteady, you know, have mastered the other kind of Batman game where you're Batman and you're in a giant city and you're swing, you know, swinging around and you're, you know, beating up everybody and super action and tons of gadgets. And I think they smartly didn't try to do that here. Um, they use the technology, more importantly, the limitations of the technology the right way. So it's a slow paced kind of detective affair where you're investigating certain areas and you're not. You're not beating up a million people. Um, and everything about that I loved, except for the part where it just ends abruptly yeah. in the middle of a thing. It's like we, um, just, we just ran out of time, everybody. Got to have this out at launch. So for the record, Jeff has not beaten Arkham Knight. Ben, have you played all of the other games? I played them and beat them. Well, the only one I didn't play through and beat was the snowy. The really No, not the snowy one. The, Origins? Uh, 
Yeah, that one. Ugh. It's Maybe excellent. It's... Replay it. They've patched it. It's excellent. Um, it's okay. It's uh, the other ones I've beaten. Yes. It's short, and I, I really, I am not going to spoil anything about any of these games. It is short, but it is such a complete narrative. I've been tweeting. Um, I, I'm trying to get a spoiler cast lined up where I can just really dive in. I might write something and pitch it somewhere um, on Rocksteady's take on Batman. This this thing, this piece that is Arkham VR is beautiful and one of the most amazing in my opinion takes and conclusions on i mean rocksteady said they were done after arkham knight and they they came back to the character and woof they came back in such a way man such a way that only rocksteady did knowing that this game is out now and i'm a huge batman fan so please take everything i say with a million grains of salt but knowing that this game came out Bath salt, ba- bath salt, bath salt. Um, <laughs> that this game came out, and that what this game does narratively, based on what they set up in Arkham Asylum. Like I don't know if they had the so-called George Lucas wall with all of this mapped out, but holy crap, what what a vision and what a journey they take this character on. Like I get that it's short, but I think that if it were four times the length because of the limitations of VR. And yeah, it was probably rushed to get out. I think people would be like, oh, look, I'm doing this again. How many times am I going to do this? And one, but da Instead, they come in, they tell you a story, they punch you right where they need to punch you, and then they get the heck out and they leave you wanting more. Isn't that so much better than Mafia 3 where you're like, this is incredible. Oh, crap, yeah. 30 more hours? Well, yeah, but there's a place in between too short and too long. I mean, I, I think that's, that's my problem. Said. Oh, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> I have uh, I've never heard her say that, but yes. <laughs> you didn't um, see in the chat yeah. earlier that there's a youth group listening live to us right now, Christian. Come on. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> um Yeah, no, I, I I get it. I get that they were trying to be artistic with the way that they were dealing with this, right? Like they they can't tell the same kind of story they can tell in their gigantic 30-hour uh, open world games, but I still felt like it left me hanging in a way that I didn't want to be left. I, there were still more gameplay I wanted. I wanted to do more of things I were doing. I wanted to be able to use some of the tools that I had in new ways. I mean, yeah. it's sure. really hard to talk about it without, without spoiling anything, but you have a tool belt, you have your utility belt, and I wanted to use it more. And I didn't use it very, I used it a little bit, but I was like, wait a minute, wait, why is it over now? Aren't I supposed to use these things to do more stuff? Like it just felt... Like they ran out and look, they, maybe it's a matter of money. I mean, all of these companies are investing huge amounts of money into developing these VR, uh, experiences and nobody knows where they're getting the payoff again. Like, you know, you're not, you're not getting 40 million of these, you know, these these aren't going to show up in all, all 40 million PS4s. So I think it's like, everyone has to do a short kind of proof of concept because we're still trying to see if VR is going to actually work as a, you know, a, a mass, a mass device. So I get the limitations there, but it just, it felt like it could have been a little longer or wrapped up in a way that was more uh, pleasing for me. But I, I, apparently you, uh, you really enjoyed well, it. Oh, I mean, go ahead, I, 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 first of all, I think it's cool that we're talking about the narrative. Like they, that, <laughs> when you think about what likely went down, which is, Hey, we're Sony. We're launching this thing. Do you guys want to do a Batman thing? We'll pay you a whole bunch of money to make a Batman thing for our launch. They could have done 
a whole bunch of really half-assed things. Like, we could have had the Batman shooting gallery game, where you're shooting stuff with Batman, or you're just throwing batarangs at a billion things, which, by the way... Go on? How much yeah. is it? Well, you know, that's kind of like a side... There's like a thing you can do in the Batcave where you can do that, but... Oh, I know. Oh, but, I know. <laughs> and the way batarangs, by the way, work in this game are really, really cool, especially if you have the move controllers. But they could have... It could have been so lame and like you're talking about Ben the the idea that they doubled down on on what i think is special about vr which is there are gameplay moments and and functionality that work in vr that don't really work otherwise like there are you know these detective moments in the other batman arkham games but to understand that in VR, slow stuff is really interesting. Standing in one spot mm-hmm. and just looking around and kind of just scanning and, and looking under stuff and looking at your space and re- really slow pace. All of that in VR really, really works. I think that is is a testament to the level of quality that they brought to this project. The other thing that, I mean, I have I have all three headsets. I've played every VR experience I can get my hands on. Almost nothing right now, almost nothing has realistic looking character models. There's almost nothing in the VR space that does a human being interacting with you yet. Very rarely. Like uh, the gallery, there's a human being, but he's always far away from you. This game starts with a person kneeling down, looking right in your face and talking to you. And it is so powerful, I found. Like, and over and over, you are dealing with characters that are just as large as you because it's, you know, you're in VR. It's, you're present there. These pe- people are standing in front of you. You feel like they're, uh, a video game character is just as big as you are and is talking right to you and you can look at their whole body and it, like they're there. Yeah. The London Heist, uh, I think, which is on the PlayStation VR Worlds disc, which is, uh, incidentally, maybe the worst name for a game (laughs) ever. PlayStation VR Worlds. Like, it's just, it tells you nothing. And that London Heist demo, which we had seen a couple times uh, at a bunch of preview events, was for a long time the coolest thing I had seen on PSVR. It was like, this is amazing. And the game itself that's on that disc is amazing. It's also too short and also ends too abruptly. But the character modeling there is insane. It's like there's this big British thug who's got you like tied to a chair and he's like kind of giving you a hard time. And it is intimidating. Like I am like this guy, this guy has no neck and it feels like a dude with no neck and giant pecs is like about to like punch me in right. the face. And and when he kind of does throw you around a little bit, it's it's unnerving. Like Some of those experiences on PSVR do a better job. I think you're right, especially with like people and and the interactions with with characters than than I've seen on the Rift for sure. Yeah, and I think it just shows what the potential is and what what the future is going to be with with these kinds of games. Anyway, go ahead, Christian. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not there yet. It is about like the potential in the future. But Arkham VR for me was the first game I played where I was telling my wife this. I was like, this was the first experience I played because I've spent so much time in this world. And there are things from that in that game that you see in the other versions, the other Arkham games. I'm like, this is the first time I've played a VR game where I had the thought that five years, two years, one year after playing it, I honestly won't remember 
if it was a VR experience or a real memory where I think people could be like, remember when you went to the Louvre and then your wife is like, honey, we never went. We went on a VR tour. And you're like, huh, <laughs> that's right. I never actually went there. We should go like in my head, like I was laying down on the couch just thinking and I wanted to tell her like uh, about this thing in Gotham. And I almost wanted I, I didn't and I wouldn't because it's a, clearly a video game. But I saw the potential of being like, remember that alley in Gotham we visited? <laughs> And it was the first time where I had that thing where you're in there and I think it's because I'm in this, you know, childhood dream of a character in this world I've spent hundreds of hours in that is faithfully recreated in this VR version of it. And I, you see that potential of where the tech could end up where you're like, man, we should go on another Mediterranean cruise. You mean when we sat in our rooms with our helmet, our headsets on for four hours? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, especially when we're talking about people, the people do feel real. And when you leave the people and you take off the headset, you feel like you've actually interacted with yeah. the person where you're like, oh, I, you know, that was a character. I don't want to say any characters from Batman, but yeah, that was that character. And he was staring right at or me. climbing over doing, the top yeah. of where I am or, you know, like, or fighting all around me. I mean, it's, it's a completely different experience than playing a third person game on my television. You know, it is completely different. Uh, let's talk a little bit about yeah. some of the other great experiences. I think you're right, Ben, that a lot of them still feel abbreviated. Um, one of them that does not feel abbreviated to me is one you've already mentioned, and that's Riggs. I was really impressed. I mean, this is a, uh, a arena shooter, which you're not supposed to be able to do on VR, first of all, because you're supposed to make you puke. And they do a lot of really smart things to mitigate that. There's a very lengthy introduction sequence where it's asking you what's most comfortable, how, you know, how do you want it? There's various different ways to control the game and, you know, it's leading you through, but it's a very robust product. I mean, it is a, uh, this is a guerrilla games production and they could have really made a, I think, very thin arena shooter, just kind of proving that you can be in a mech and run around and shoot stuff, but they didn't. They, it's built like a sports game and there's all kinds of depth if you're into that. There's all kinds of depth in, you know, collecting all the mechs and building your team and, and getting points. And there's all kinds of trophy rooms and, and things to do. I, I was pretty impressed with rigs. Yeah, I, I, I was as well. Um, I, you know, I do feel that the uh, comfort factor is, is, is a bit of an issue with the game. And even though they do give you a bunch of different ways to control it, um, it, 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 it takes a while before you're comfortable in it and not just through the, you know, the, the tutorial, but even playing the game. I, at first I could only play for maybe a half an hour at tops, maybe 20 minutes. And I would be like, okay, I think I'm getting a little, just a little mm -hmm. much. And I would have to take a break, but now I've gone back and played it, you know, five or six other s sittings and I've, I can now do it longer. Like it's almost like a VR training tool to get you better acclimated to how you're dealing with VR. Like it felt a little bit like Avatar in the sense that, you know, right when he got into the body, he was flailing around and yeah. couldn't walk. And then the longer he did it, he was becoming incredibly nimble and agile. Like the longer I've played rigs, the better I am in VR, navigating in VR. So I think that's a really powerful thing that the game manages to do sort of accidentally. It's not intentionally trying to teach you to be uh, more at ease in a VR space. And you're right. It's a totally robust game. I think it's, uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot of strategy that you start to see in terms of how, you know, how to shoot at things and what your different weapons do. And you switch between three different, you know, states where you can run faster or shoot stronger or repair yeah. yourself. And, 
and and that's there's a lot there's a lot there i mean it's expensive it's a full price i think it's a 60 dollar game um but i do think unlike a lot of 60 dollar vr experiences this one might actually be worth it at least in terms of its content I totally agree uh i was very surprised because i i didn't really have high expectations for that game but it, it's it's pretty cool and there's a bunch of different game modes and it's it's worth checking out and also it's another one where you know I, the the fantasy of being in that world and being in a mech is really expressed really cool and, you know like looking to, to your left and right and seeing the mechanisms of all the mechs and having the the cool uh pilots like giving you high fives and stuff it's it's pretty cool uh christian yeah. do you have a, a game you want to highlight there are three and i think you guys have probably played them as well um also just real quickly going back i think it was maybe ben's earlier comment we started this i think this launch lineup is up there with one of the best console peripheral whatever you want to call it launch lineups ever in terms of diversity and and different types of gameplay that experience. I, I think Sony hit the, hit it out of the park with this launch lineup. Um, the three I want to highlight, uh, two, you do not need to play in VR. And I feel like an idiot for saying this, but it's transformative to play in VR. Uh, Thumper and Res Infinite are incredible, incredible VR experiences. And then Jeff, I know one that you will talk maybe longer about so we can hit it last. Um, what Sony Japan or Japan Studio did with the Playroom VR um mops the floor with lucky's tops it is and it's again it's one of those things like ben was saying where it's it's just a tease it's not even a full thing it's just like one level but there's so many ideas in that one level that you're like give me eight more hours of this well even all the even like the the yeah, specifically the platformer level but the other little mini game levels that they have in it too yeah. like I could see that all being a Ratchet and Clank style game right where you're doing this thing and then you bust in this world and then you're in the Wild West saloon and you're doing the shootout <laughs> kind of thing or whatever and then you come out of here and you're doing the Where's Waldo and you know like all of it I could see it all being a game kind of cobbled together. There's internet speculation that this is knack. Uh. <laughs> like this is secretly testing knack too, um, which I totally would be behind. Imagine, imagine the knack giant in VR awesome. in this playroom. Yeah. Uh, scale, incredible. And then scale th- in, in VR is really fun to play with. Like it in way more than it is on a 2d television and hidden fun camera tricks. I think Nintendo did it well with, um, Super Mario 3D Land on the 3DS. When you played it in 3D, there was cool stuff where like treasures were hidden in 3D. And the same thing is true. And Lucky's Tale did it also. But it's like, you know, it's kind of a guided camera. And so you go past a thing. And then because we're not trained to, but slowly but surely we will be trained to, it's like I look, I turn my head and look left. And I'm like, oh, oh there's, a, there's a star over there. I'm going to go collect that star that if you stay on the main path, you don't find. And this isn't exploring off the path it's exploring with your camera with your head and like peeking down into a hole and that's not even to mention what alouette what's the the short Mm -hmm. it's also that's on on everything it's beautiful it's free on everything too and there was another one where i went back and forth and tried to determine if there was any difference between any of the platforms um alouette's is, is beautiful but just to just to underscore again the um that that platformer like it's so brilliant that they have the controller present throughout and that the controller itself becomes this implement that they can add features to. So you're seeing the controller mapped in 3D space in front of you wherever you're holding it in rel- relative to yourself, relative to the camera in the world. Um, but then, you know, you're collecting these little dudes just like the old Playroom on when PS4 launched. Like that was the kind of the gimmick is that there's little people inside your controller 
Uh, so you're collecting them and they get sucked into your controller. But you also have this grappling hook and you can launch the grappling hook off at any time and shoot it t- into the into the world. So you can like hit little characters with it and it'll mess with them. But there's also little you know, grapple points and that you can hook onto and then that creates this balance um, uh, um, like a bouncy tight yeah, tightrope. Tight That's wire. what I was looking for. Tightrope for your character to walk on to get to previously unreachable spots. And there's a moment where there's coins and there's a string of coins vertically. And my guy is on a tightrope walking toward the coins and I can only get the bottom coin. And I was like, how do I get, how do I get my guy higher? Oh, right. I lift my controller up and stand up so that the, the, the point that he's walking along is literally higher in the game. And my mind just went, break. <laughs> it's like what is possible there. It's 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 the ideas on display. I think are just scratching the surface as to how games are going to change. Absolutely, uh, and you know, one game we haven't mentioned, which is weirdly weirdly turned into one of my favorites, is Headmaster, <laughs> yeah. which could not be any further from what you guys are talking about in terms of like complexity in VR and like understanding sort of how it works. In this game, you're in some sort of diabolical training facility, and someone is kicking soccer balls at your head. It's like a robot voice is like training you how to head soccer balls into a net. I, I, I'm not making that up. That's the game. So soccer balls like fly at your head and you like move your body like you're back and forth to like head the ball into a target or into a net. It sounds like the worst Wii game ever. It sounds like the worst game in the (laughs) world. And it's not in part because the writing is incredibly sharp and funny. It's kind of portal Stanley parable, kind of that kind of, you know, very funny Britishy kind of tongue in cheek. Something else is happening behind the scenes kind of writing. And also because it, it works. It really works. Like the the way you hit the ball with your head, the ball ricochets off into crazy directions. Like you're trying to hit a hundred target over in the corner and you're like, I'm going to get it on the next. I'm going to get it on the next one. I got it. And I got a hundred points and now I've gotten three stars and I go to the next level. It's a stupid game. And I think in a lot of ways a sleeper, uh, because it's, it's just, you immediately understand what you're supposed to do. And there isn't sort of this like, uh, it's a new way to play another kind of game. It's like, no, this is just, this is the only way to do this thing in real life or in yeah. VR is you have to literally move your body back and forth and hit something with your head. Um, awesome. I thought that game was great. And then just to also go back to, to uh, 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 what Christian said about Thumper. Yeah. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough about that. That game to me is now a, a legitimate game of the year thing. Like yeah. in VR, I was my mind was blown. I was, I have not been that tense and been that connected to a video game in so long where I was like just staring down this neon highway and just the music is so weird. It's like noise, noise band music. And it's kind of, there's a Cthulhu yeah. vibe and, and, and there's, and, a, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, a violent sort of, uh, percussive nature to when you attack the enemy and you're attacking the enemy just by hitting the correct rhythm. It like it, feels like you're slamming it you know it, it is so visceral and i you know I, that word is overused but I, I really do think it applies 
It's the right word. It's it's finally the right word. Finally, we have found the right time to use the word visceral. But <laughs> or it is. when I discussing mean... the studio that made Dead Space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Those are the only two times it's a video game industry. <laughs> but I know so many people um, have have highlighted res. And yes, it's cool to play res in VR. But I I think watch yourself. I Go think ahead. Thumper trumps res on every level. And and I haven't progressed super far in res because I've played that game a thousand times now, and it's still good. I'm not dissing res, but I'm bummed that it's literally just a port of the Dreamcast game. Is there one extra level that I haven't gotten to yeah. at the end? Because I can't... Area yeah, X is the make you I can't just moment. jump it to is. that? No, Why no. not? I don't want to play that. Like, okay, it's fun. I get it. It's great. But I've literally played the same levels a, a thousand times on different, different um, consoles. So when are you recording the next We Have Concerns? Just I go know, to Anthony's. I know, he's going to be... <laughs> right. But, yeah, yes, I like it, but it does feel super dated in those early levels. I want to just play level X. I just want to do that. Just let me jump to it. The whole game should have been that, frankly. And I, I, I really love Res, and, and I, love, I love playing through it again. And I actually had a lot of fun kind of reimagining it in this new way and experiencing it in this new way. And, and, and I thought it was really cool, but yeah, the difference between that and area X where you're like, Oh, I'm like kind of off the rails a little and I can kind of move where I want a little bit more. And Oh my God, look at this insane explosion of color and firework everywhere. It's like, it is, it should have just yeah, been the whole thing. They should have designed every level. They're just given us like yeah. six new levels of res. I know. Okay. Whatever. I think I think Area X should have been unlocked from the start, but I think that Res Infinite Res in VR is the best version of Res. I think the way that you're um, stuck to look around and things when you're playing on a 2D screen, you can see everything all the time. And in this, you know, things come down from below you, and if you're trying to get perfect scores or um, hit every enemy, you, you you need to look around, and something in your peripheral vision is a little blurry, so you turn your head over there. And then if you're using that to lock onto your enemies, it changes the way you play it. I think this is the definitive version of Res, and I think the fact that you've played Res five, ten, twenty times before, you know, yes, it's an incredible game. We've all played it before, but I think it's an unfair disservice to talk down to this version of res just because you're oh, over i'm it. just saying the the first boss fight in thumper compared to the first boss fight in res it's like oh well obviously because this was made 10 years ago and this is made today well and one is new to you i'd love i don't know if there's anyone out there but i'd love someone out there that's like indie games that somehow maybe missed res because i think i think res holds up extremely well i thought you know i played it originally on ps2 i played it on the xbox 360 hd port and now playing this on vr and i think those boss battles are still fun and intricate thumper is new and shiny and totally different so it's like yeah of course playing that versus the boss of mario 64 you know you've done it before so it doesn't have the same wowness to it and also a thumper the thing that thumper res is a good time and there's no way you can't you just realize that you're bobbing your head as you play it thumper i just picture the devs when they made that they would like code for four hours and then bleed out a victim for an hour (laughs) and then code for four hours like there is just a hate in a good way but there is just an Eve, like I think secretly we're playing this game and like you take your headset off and you're like, huh, I have a little blood by my eye. Where'd that come from? And they're just sucking our souls out of us. It's uh, Yeah. It's I know we're going long. I want to say a few other things. I, I got to demo it to my mother-in-law last night, the PSVR, and I put her in the uh, shark attack uh, thing from PlayStation. 
That's cruel. Your mother-in-law. Why would you do that? How do you feel about her? What do you? Uh, she loved it, dude. I have actually video of her playing, and she's like, "Oh, oh, oh, shit, oh." Um, yeah, I shouldn't say that on the show, but you say ocean. ocean Did you just say ocean? ocean? Um, uh-huh. Anyway, um, but I w- If you have a thing called PlayStation Worlds, there should be more than one world. Like, I understand that there are various demos of the thing, and actually, there's some really fun stuff. I even the the danger ball thing. I found myself playing way longer than I thought I ever would basically pong with your face but whatever um but it was so cool to be able to demo something where she didn't have to be a video gamer to do it she could just experience it and go into that place and both oculus and vive have so many of those kinds of experiences of just be in a place look around that place the fact that psvr only shipped with one is a bit of a bummer to me and also Comparing the ocean, whatever it's called, the undersea adventure, whatever that thing is called, comparing that to the blue, which is on Vive, it's no comparison. It's a cool experience to do the underwater thing on PSVR, but it feels like a video game underwater experience. The blue feels like you're in real underwater, and that's kind of a bummer too. So a couple of little criticisms there for me. Yeah, I would agree agree with those. I would also just say that um, on that PlayStation VR World's disc, is maybe the worst experience. Oh, luge? VR, which is the it's luge. terrible. Terrible. I feel like they only made it because that was the first thing, a version of that is the first thing they demoed with the headset, and they were like, oh, crap. They should have scrapped it. It makes the tech look bad. I agree with you 100%. I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. Awful. Awful. All right, guys. Uh, I'm sure we could talk way, way more about PSVR, but we do. I have at least 20 more minutes oh, of Oh, good. It, if you're at, at least 20 more minutes from Christian coming soon. Um, I do want to get to tabletop time and get our parting gift and get these guys out of here at some reasonable time. So let's do that now. Let's get to a little bit of tabletop time. Tabletop time. Tabletop time. Right now. Right now. We didn't have tabletop time last week, and Essen just completed. It was this last weekend. Essen is the biggest board game convention on the planet. It takes place in Essen, Germany, and it's called Essen Spiel. And uh, some exciting stuff. Literally, literally hundreds of board games are announced at Essen, and hundreds of thousands of people are there. Uh, some highlights I wanted to to talk about just because uh, I thought it might be fun for people that are interested in what the next big thing from board games are going to be. Uh, some ones that stand it out, stand it out, stood out to me. Um, legendary, the legendary card game uh, system, which has been Marvel Legendary, DC. They did Alien, and these are all uh, interoperable, so you can play the legendary card games. You can do a Marvel versus DC. You could do a Marvel versus Aliens. You could do all that kind of weird fun. Um, crossover stuff because the cards all have the same rule set basically and they can all work together. They showed at Essen uh, legendary Big Trouble in Little China which, come on, now you're scratching my very specific itches. Uh, Great movie from my childhood (laughs) and the fact that they made a whole board game about it, I'm just so stoked. Also, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, Star Wars Imperial Assault on the show before which is the big, uh, massive... Uh, adventure game built in the Star Wars universe. It's basically Descent, the Descent rule set from Final, uh, from uh, Fantasy Flight Games, but done with Star Wars. They announced an add-on called Jabba's Realm, which includes the mm. Rancor monster, cool like 3D, uh, you know, um, 
miniature of the Rancor monster and a bunch of the people from Jabba's palace. It has a whole new campaign that's built all around that area from the beginning of Return of the Jedi. It has a um, Jedi Luke character that, that comes with the game and, and all kinds of cool new uh, functionality built in that that milieu, which is one of my favorite sequences from any of the movies. Um, so that made me excited. Uh, a new Uwe Rosenberg game called Cottage Garden is getting a lot of buzz just because it's Uwe Rosenberg. He's the guy that developed my two favorite board games, um, Caverna and La Havre. He also did Agricola. Um, so any game, new game from him is bound to get a lot of excitement. Cottage Garden is literally you're a gardener. <laughs> so it sounds boring, but people are digging it. So uh, I'm anxious to try that. Um, the... Uh, the biggest, you know, Board Game Geek does a list of the games that get the most buzz out of Essen. The top game is a game from Stronghold Games called Terraforming Mars, and it's about exactly what you would think. It's about you, you are a group of people going to Mars and trying to terraform it better than your, better than the other players. You're trying to create uh, livable systems on Mars, so you're trying to introduce vegetation and animals onto the planet but you have to increase the oxygen levels and you know do certain things to create livable a livable environment. It just sounds fascinating, and uh, everybody is going bonkers about how fun and strategic it is. Uh, it's called Terraforming Mars from Stronghold Games. That's got the number one most buzzed about spot. But also, my heart skipped a beat because uh, Pandemic Legacy, which is the number one rated board game in the world, game that I was freaking out about. It's Legacy done with the, uh, or excuse me, it's a pandemic done with the Legacy system um, where it evolves over time. We talked about it a lot on this show. Well, when Pandemic Legacy was released, it had a really fun subtitle. It said Season 1 on it, which got everybody really excited that that wasn't the end of Pandemic Legacy. Well, they have been demoing Pandemic Legacy Season 2 at Essen, and it looks crazy! Obviously, it's very early. It hasn't it doesn't even have a release date yet, but evidently there's parts of the map that you will reveal as you explore new areas, uh, tons of new character types. It just makes me so excited that they're really attacking the what we assume to be true about Pandemic and, and just um, you know turning things on their head and making Season 2. It, it builds on what happened in Season 1, and it it uh, continues the storyline uh, in a board game, which, you know, board games don't usually have storylines. Really exciting. Very, very cool stuff. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a Kickstarter project from the Decemberists, one of my favorite bands. Uh, they are kickstarting a board game called Illimat that looks really interesting. I just kind of wanted to bring it to people's attention. Um, I'm fascinated by this. This basically a, a – I didn't think I could like the Decemberists more than I do – uh, this is a band that um, plays board games on the on tour. Like they, one of the things they do to pass the time is they play designer board games, and they had a photo shoot for one of their albums, and they had somebody kind of create a board game for them to be playing in the photo shoot, and then they decided they wanted to turn that fake board game into a real board game, so they hired a board game designer to turn that picture of this fake just sort of random graphic design board game into a real board game, and they did, and now they're kickstarting it. They've already blown past their their goals but uh it looks really fascinating it's kind of a dark like witch board game uh it's called illimat i-l-l-i-m-a-t if you want to check that out 
So fun stuff happening in the board game world this week. I just wanted to hit on that real quick. But let's wrap the show up. Um, we do have our parting gift coming up, but Ben Silverman, thank you so much for being here, man. It's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's always a pleasure to do this, Jeff. And, I, you know, I, I have not actually had a chance to uh, formally congratulate you and welcome you into the wild, uh, a woolly world of yeah. Uh, but I, I, I hope you are surviving. It sounds like you are well rested. You have a lot of energy. I'm shocked. I didn't sleep for, I think a year and a half. I think it was. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm planning so, to go to bed uh, right after this. Well. Uh, no, I, it, okay. I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm, uh, I'm very fortunate that, um, my wife is being real nice about letting me, you know, get some sleep at night and, and we're, 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 we're doing it. We're doing it. It's pretty crazy, but yeah, I, you know, Ben and I talked uh, a lot uh, at E3 because it was it was coming up, and he was giving me some advice, some dad advice, and uh, it's crazy that now here I am on the other side, full full dad. If you've got any advice to share with me, and now you can fully you can help you can help <laughs> me because this is this is what happens once you have one, then everyone you can kind of trade trip tips back and forth because we're all. If only there was a podcast about parenting that. Uh, from like never a department yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. Never heard of that. Yeah. yeah would never good. work. <laughs> uh, where can people keep up with your goings on on the internet, Ben? Uh, well, I'm still over at your Yahoo. If you still have your Yahoo uh, or if you hacked into someone else's email, you can go ahead and uh, access Yahoo that way. <laughs> um, yeah, Yahoo Esports still uh, you know, running the show there, and we are uh, trying to, uh, to build the world's greatest esports media destination, which is not easy because esports is – crazy it is a uh, unbelievable fascinating world that is getting tons of money and investments and everyone's throwing cash at it and no one's really sure what that's going to mean uh so that is an interesting uh, thing for me and then i'm also again writing reviews and uh features and stuff that'll be floating around yahoo too uh and if you were to find me sitting around somewhere in the bay area i would probably be reading the dark tower as i mentioned earlier i am on book almost through book three. Oh, you're doing your parting gift early it's okay. We'll, we'll get, we'll get oh, to that. Is that. Am I doing it? We'll am get I already to that my parting gift? That's Crap. okay. Okay. Um, so uh, how about Twitter? Where, are you, where can people find you on the Twitters? Now what's Twitter? Yeah, what's that now? Oh, that's the social network. Okay, that's the other one. It's like, it's like MySpace, but uh, with that's harassment. Right, exactly. uh, ben underscore Silverman. Ben underscore Silverman. Awesome. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, there is a, a parenting podcast I do called Department of Parenting. You can listen to that. Um, also, the Patreon, that uh, at least 20 more minutes is kind of the first thing, the, the meat of it or the first step of it, which is a podcast, a solo podcast. Occasionally, there'll be guests, but the first episode will be dropping this week, and it, it will be all about VR, a little deeper dive into some of this PSVR stuff, Oculus and Vive and what you should do. What should you do um so you can look for that go to patreon.com slash christian spicer for that and twitter's the easiest way to get in touch it is at spicer if you're in la and listening to this live tonight i'm at the comedy store tonight on monday i will be in san diego at madhouse comedy club running a big chunk of um my next hour the next album which it will be recorded November 15th at Lestat's on Adams Avenue in San Diego. Come be a part of that. We're all going to die is the recording. And uh, then back in LA, if you, this week, Friday, I'm at the improv space doing a set, just building, building sets, working towards that November 15th recording. Jeff, what about you? You can always follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada. And I have a couple of the shows you can check out, including 
We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com, and the Slash Filmcast, which you can find at slashfilmcast.com. This week we're doing uh, The Accountant, reviewing The Accountant, which is terrible. Okay, uh, spoiler for that review. Um, let's get now to our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. All right, so Ben, I think we, we already know what your parting gift is, but uh, tell us about it. Okay, guys, you're never going to see this coming. <laughs> I have been up to something so unbelievable. I have been reading this fantasy series written by an author named Stephen King. Uh, yeah, anyway, Dark Tower. I am uh, I'm almost through book three. I am trying to get through the series before uh, the yeah. movie. Uh, I, I, you know, I read through the first book right. years ago, a long time ago, and I stopped. I mean, I, this was, I don't know, I was young enough so that I don't think the, I mean, I think there may be through two or three books yeah. at that point. Um, so I'm like, I've got to get through the whole thing. And I, I'm a real stickler for having read the book before seeing the movie, if you have the option <laughs> and you have the time, because I always feel like it's, it's a more rewarding movie experience if you kind of have some better sense of all the things that are left unsaid that the movie couldn't get to. Um, uh, so that's what I'm doing. I'm reading The Dark Tower as fast and as furiously as I yeah, can. It's I, uh, I'm the same way. I read those all when I was young and... Um... I have been meaning to revisit them before the movie comes out. Now it's like, you know, leaked trailer, leaked pictures. I'm like, oh god, tick tock, tick tock. It's all. It, I don't have much time left, but I, I, I intend to do that. I would do it, Christian. How about you? What do you got as a parting gift? Oh man, playoff baseball has been great this year. Uh, my team, the Astros, were cursed last year when Sports Illustrated named them the World Series champions of this year, <laughs> and they played better than expected last year, and then. You know, played as you would expect the Astros to play this year. <laughs> but uh, so I don't have a horse in the race, which makes it maybe more objectively fun for me. All of these games have been incredible. So if you kind of checked out on baseball and your team's not in it, I think maybe give some of these games a watch because so far every game has been very, very entertaining. So play Yeah, my team in game five decided to uh, go into the ninth inning with a big lead and then grab the bed. So. It, it stinks because that was your team, but what a, what a game. game, right? Like, so for me, it was fascinating because I didn't care. I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> what yeah, a game. That's why October is my favorite month. You got football, you got baseball playoffs, you got the weather cooling down, you can. WNBA uh, finals. Uh, I want to recommend as my parting gift, um, I, you know, I've been trying to drink more water. People say drinking water is good. And one of the, the things that I've done to drink more water is my wife got this thing called a, a swell, I guess it's called. It's like a thermos. Maybe the company that makes it swell, S-W-E-L-L. I've never experienced a thermos that can keep water cold for the entire day without ice. And this thing just, it's magic. It's magic. Uh, And for me, if water is not super cold, it doesn't quench my thirst. Like, I need to be cold, crisp, cold water. And this thing, man, I'm very impressed. It's it's, uh, this thermos called swell, and I thought I'd recommend it to people because... uh, I, I, I love drinking water. I like don't drink water out of cups anymore or anything else. I just put it in this thing because it actually tastes better, crisper, colder. Anyway, there you go. All right, that's going to do it. Oh, no, we got, a, we got a listener one, a listener parting gift. This comes from Anthony. He says, my parting gift is easily one of the best films of 2016, the South Korean zombie movie Train to Busan. While the zombie apocalypse unfolds throughout the country, our protagonists are stuck on a high-speed train unable to find a safe station. 
They must contend with not only the infection spreading throughout the carriages, but also with their scared and panicking remaining passengers. Train to Busan is that rare kind of near-perfect genre movie that takes established tropes and cliches and remembers why they worked in the first place. When we cared about the people on the screen, these characters are likable and compelling. The cast are charismatic across the board, with the standout being the incredible child actress Suan Kim. And the humor translates especially well. The pacing, storytelling, and action, action are all masterful. And the social commentary is strong and interesting. And the ending is near perfect. I saw this twice in the cinemas, and I cried both times. In short, in, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff is losing the power to speak. Uh, in short, Train to Busan is the greatest zombie movie I have ever seen. I want to check that mm. out. Train to Busan, thanks for the recommendation. You can always send recommendations. Uh, you can send parting gifts. You can send feedback of any kind to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love getting those from you. We will be back next week. Got to thank uh, Ben Silverman and Christian Spicer. Got to thank our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for that. And uh, got to thank you guys for listening. Until next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>